Hey, everybody. Welcome to Connected. I'm Kyle Van Pelt, co-founder and CEO of MileMarker. My co-host is Judd Mackerel, co-founder of MileMarker as well. Connected is a show about the people and technologies that are shaping and building the wealth management industry. More people than ever are searching for great financial advice, and more firms than ever are trying to figure out how to scale their operations to serve those who are searching for their advice. We believe that better connected technology provides the space for better connected people, which leads to better advice. Welcome to Connected. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Connected. I am your host, Kyle Van Pelt, CEO of MileMarker. And today, I have the pleasure of being joined by the one and only Tyrone Ross. Probably doesn't need much of an introduction to most of you, but for those of you who aren't initiated to Tyrone, he's the co-founder and CEO of Turnkey Labs. He's also a co-founder of a firm called 401 Financial. He's an investment news 40 under 40. He's a voice for the voiceless, a tireless advocate for the homeless and the hungry, and he can beat anybody listening to this podcast in a race. (laughs) Did I miss anything, bud? No, I think that's it. Oh, son of superhero parents. Oh, son of superhero parents. There you go. Shout it out. I love that. Uh, Anybody here, shout out to your parents because, uh, you know, that's amazing. All right, Tyrone. Hey, before we get started, I I had a question before we dive into the meat. Hey, have you ever heard of of this thing called Bitcoin? It's 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 come in my circles a bit. (laughs) Like everyone else, it's it's just in, uh, you know, some dinner conversation here and there. Yeah. I just heard about it for the first time, you know, not long ago. I was curious if you heard of it. I don't know, some new thing or something like that. Well, you've been around me before, so you definitely heard it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's start there. I, you know, I know you talk about crypto a lot, but for a lot of people in our industry, you are kind of one of the go-to voices for all things crypto. And, uh, actually timely enough, saw you tweet the other day, you, you had just had a meeting with the SEC about, uh, all things crypto, about what's going on with that. And, uh, your exact words were the takeaway is simple and bleak. It's going to be a long uphill slog for all things crypto right now as it pertains. I just wanted to hear you elaborate a little bit on that. Whether people know or not, I've I've had a lot of conversations with the SEC and lucky enough to continue to dialogue with them. I've been a part of one of the uh, investment committee meetings, had some conversations with Commissioner Crenshaw's office. Hester and I have a great relationship. So I talk to them often and I'm just trying to figure out a path forward for wealth management um, in this space. So a couple of months ago, as folks may or may not know, there's actually, even if not crypto, but um, there's a new custody rule proposal or safeguarding rule, as they're calling it. And the main purpose of that rule is to choke off crypto from the traditional financial services market. So they want to do it, use that rule to basically kill it with advisors and custodians. So my most recent meeting uh, with the SEC was in regards to custody. So I was just getting some clarity from them where things stand with the rule what should we be thinking about moving forward on that? And forever being the uh, visionary and entrepreneur, there's something that I want to build. So I was like, before I put together a pitch deck or a business plan or anything else, is there any clarity you can give me? So it was incredibly frustrating because they're basically telling me to follow a rule, which isn't really a rule yet, that it's going to take a long time and I have to have another meeting, which is due to be set up. 
But it was encouraging, as I said, kind of an oxymoron here. But they also was like, we want innovation. We want to support entrepreneurs. So I think going to them, they are willing to sit and have conversations with you. But I think they're very transparent that they're short staffed. Things are going to take a long time. And that they're just in no way trying to facilitate the blend of traditional crypto assets until some other things happen, which we all know about. I left encouraged in some capacity, but also just incredibly frustrated because there's just lack of clarity, right? There's what do you do? So you're just kind of wringing your hands a bit. But it was something where I said to them going in, I never use my meetings to complain. There's enough of that. I'm not, and I let I preface every meeting like that. I'm not here to complain. I just want to find some answers. And I explained to them, I said, look, this is a win-win because as far as crypto assets are concerned, I feel like the wealth management space, a lot of advisors rely on me to kind of distill what's going on. So even if you tell me it ain't ever happening, that's a positive because I could go back and communicate that to the tribe. If there's a path forward and I can kind of get through that, I want to communicate that as well. So all in all, the positive. But again, it's just the frustrating part of dealing with the SEC. Yeah. Well, and I, do you think that's led to some of the I mean, obviously, the hype cycle is now all around AI and open AI and chat GPT. And that's all everybody seems to be talking about now. Um, and, and crypto sort of came out of the limelight a little bit. But do you, do you feel like the quote unquote crypto winter contributed to that? Do you feel like people just moved on? Like, it, it doesn't seem like as many people, at least in the wealth management space outside of yourself, are talking about crypto as much anymore. Or is that yeah. is that just not really that true either? What you, so there's layers to that. So one, I think everything crypto is going through now is self-inflicted wounds. You know, we've anointed the wrong people to be the face of the space. I won't give that goofball any, I won't say him by name, but everyone knows who that is. That set us back years. How many years? Who knows? But that set us back. This shift from the libertarian, the dollars going away and whatever, Bitcoin's going to rule the world. You're going to need it to get a loaf of bread. That whole thing kind of shift the financialization of it. And then you had all these new blockchains come. And so it was this, I guess you call it a hype cycle, but it was never, it was never real. And that's what that's that was my worry, because when you looked at the data, it was just it was like in high school it was like that table at lunch where it's like you knew all the smart people and everybody doing all that was at that table. And you're like, oh, man, they're figuring out the rest of the world over there. But everyone ignored them. No one would go sit with them. Right. It was all about everyone else. The cool kids. Right. I think that part of it became there was real innovation, but it was also. It invited a lot of hokiness. And for me, what was most disappointing about it is that it got away from the true essence of what brought me to it was the ability to bring more people into financial services. I can get back to that later, which I think it did fulfill that need for me in multiple ways. But the next level of that is as far as wealth management concerned and, and what you're saying, like it's ice cold right now, right? Like you're seeing this in a lot of different ways. I'm blessed to have a 360 view as being an advisor, building technology for advisors, raising capital, talking to VCs, advising founders. So I get it from every angle. It's ice cold, which, I, which is an interesting paradox here is that as far as the actual RIAs, it's ice cold. The actual platforms, right, that advisors use, 
and the custodians are kind of like, we know this ain't going away. So let's kind of at least put the infrastructure in place in the event it does. So that was been that has been very interesting. Now, the other level of that, if you're in it 24-7, 365 like I am, there's a whole lot going on. But you got to be really in the trenches, right? Those That's those of us that are really in the trenches. There's some awesome stuff being built, some incredible things happening, but that is miles and miles and light years away from an advisor sitting with a client, giving them advice on arbitrum, right? Like that ain't happening. So there's this, there's these multiple layers here that I'm in. And I think a lot of where we are now is what's the iPhone moment? What is the thing, right? That's going to bring users in and Kyle's aunt used blockchain technology and she ain't even know. And she calls you and goes, hey, I just sent whatever or did this and it took two and a half seconds and, right? Or, you know, we bought a house in three days, right? Like something like that, where it's just, when that happens and folks don't even know they're using the tech, it becomes, oh, right? So that's where we are trying to figure that out. Because right now it's just been this sloshing of ideas and money to one side to the other. And we got to bring new users in. And until that happens, it's just it's it's the kid table at the family barbecue. Yeah, I think that makes sense, man. There's a couple of things I want to unpack on that. I think to your last point, the way I've always envisioned this or the metaphor I would use is you worry a ton about if you have really serious plumbing issues in your house or electrical issues, because to get those fixed, you got to rip down the drywall, right? Like you got to rip your house apart to go in and fix the plumbing or and so much of this tech that people have been excited about are things, new plumbing. Like, could we get rid of the ACH payment rails, you know, to mm-hmm. do these things? Or It's like, okay, well, if you want to do that, you have to rip apart the drywall of the largest house in the world, you know, to then go in there and fix these plumbing. It's like, people got to yeah. make sure that this is trustworthy, that it's going to be worth ripping apart my house to yeah. go put that in. Yeah. It might be great, but, you know, man, you're asking for a big, big change there. Exactly. And and think about it like this, right? Everyone, you, you mentioned AI, right? There was a point there where chat GBT was the thing, right? I got it on my phone or whatever. And it's kind of yeah. like the new Google, if you will. But Google's yeah. still Google, right? Like folks are going to Google. You're going to Google first. Chat GBT was a thing. And yes, generative AI and all these other things. We use it at 401. There's some really cool things that we're doing. But at the end of the day, it's Google. And to your point, In a traditional financial system, it is clear that there have been points of congestion, points of exclusion, points of contention, right? All these different things where, all right, maybe we can, this is why fintech has kind of had its slow move into prominence here because there were just certain things we could do, Chime and all these other folks, Robinhood, that allows you just more access. But here's the thing that I think has gone wrong, especially for those in the United States of America with a very much Western-centric view, grown up with a credible, robust financial system is, and I'm talking strictly for the Western crypto hippies. Crypto can succeed and be very successful without it succeeding here abundantly. You need to lose that. If it's kicking butt in India and South America, the global South, that's fine. And it is. Because guess what happens if it's abundant and dominant here? 
it will be abundant because BlackRock and Fidelity and Schwab and all these folks have grabbed it and overtaken it. Right? I tell people all the time, literally, BlackRock loans money to God. They have that much money, right? Like, it's ridiculous how much money BlackRock has in power and sway. Whether you think that's good or bad, we can argue that for another day. But I've been saying what's going to happen here, a lot of crypto companies are dying on the vine right now. Credibility is at an all-time low. BlackRock and others are sitting on mountains of cash, and they're just watching the space choke itself. So five years from now, the crypto space is not going to look like what it looks like right now. And I am the most punch drunk crypto hippie you will ever meet. But I ask people all the time, you name me the crypto company right now that is going to be around 10 years from now. And even even the ones that were the stalwarts, right? Like we saw what happened, right? I mean, and so it's, it's crazy to see what's happening there. I think the, the other thing, and you, you bring up BlackRock, you bring up Fidelity, and, and coming back a little bit to the space being ice cold, I think what, what's interesting is, at least what I've always heard, is the reason why the Fidelities and BlackRocks are, are still paying attention to it was that whole statement of, I mean, listen, it is an established asset class, right? Whether, whether you agree with it being an asset class, I mean, it, it, is na- it is now an asset class. And as a financial institution, you need to think about that. A lot of the conversations we have here, for some reason or another, have centered around how people feel about insurance as a product, right? Like whether annuities are a bad word or whatever. But what a lot of people say is if you were a fiduciary, right, your job is to look at your client's entire financial situation and see what is in their best interest. If, if there is a tool that can help them, and if that is an insurance tool, for example, you should think about it. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on why it's so potentially ice cold in our space when it's like there is a lot of people out there who still have exposure to this asset class. And if you are a fiduciary, you should be thinking about how to best provide advice to these people. And, you know, I'm sorry if this is a hot take. I don't think that the best advice to that is always, well, just get rid of it, right? The, the You know, the fiduciary advice can't always be just sell out of it. Don't be in that asset class. I don't recommend that asset class. So, what are your thoughts on that? Like, it's obviously here to stay. There's so many people who have money in it. Advisors should be figuring out the best way to talk about and provide advice around it. Yeah. I mean, I forget the, the source here, but I think at last count, like 90 plus percent of all crypto wealth is held out of the purview of financial advisors, right? They can't see it to be able to give advice on or do whatever else, which is, again, you know, one of the things is near and dear to me to fix that. So I think there's a couple things in which is why I'm so passionate about doing that. There's just some core things that advisors don't have to be able to feel comfortable having conversations about. So think about it. If I'm a $50 billion RA, we're using, name the tool, who cares? They're not sponsoring this, so we won't mention anybody. But, you know, (laughs) can I log in there right now and pull up some data and analysis and build a portfolio and do all this stuff and have it nice and neat and show that to the client? You can't. So there's just certain things that advisors can't do just to be able, even if they want to troll it, and post a nice chart with all, they, they don't even have that, right? So it's just easy to go on Twitter with, you know, the whole alphabet after your name and all these degrees, more degrees than a thermometer and go, crypto's stupid, right? And you go, yeah, he's right, the CFA. But to have the data and analysis to be able to do that and the fundamentals that are there, like that's missing. So not good data quality, the wrong approach 
and I've been saying this for years, right? The eight years for me as an advisor doing this, the approach of educating advisors, right? Well, here's the layer one and the layer two, and this is how Bitcoin mining works. Why? If an advisor is talking to a client about Amazon, they're not talking about TCIP and how the internet works. And all. So why are we doing it with this? It doesn't make any sense. Like go like this, like change the angle, practice management. Here's why it has the potential to be an asset class, right? What do advisors love? Discounted cash flows and, you know, PE ratios and all those other things. It's like, I, I call it like the taste like mayonnaise effect, right? If, if you go, oh, it's kind of, it kind of tastes like mayonnaise. Yes, yeah, it's kind of the same thing, right? So as you layer in data and information for advisors, it's easy for them to go, oh, okay. So wait, client has a Coinbase account. Okay, Coinbase account comes in. I can see it in my little platform. So Mr. and Mrs. Client, let me get this straight. You traded 4,000 times last month, just last month alone. Yeah, okay. Now, can I get some transaction data or any of that? All right, they get that data in this. Okay, so Mr. and Mrs. Client, let me straight. Let me get this straight. You created $10,000 in capital gains. Are you reporting this? Okay. Yeah, this is going to come back and get you. Right. So at that point, the advisor's not talking about anything crypto. It's in their circle of competence. You're just acting really silly with this asset class. Like You've done everything else, right? Yeah. So I think the approach to educating advisors and all of that has been wrong, which is why between turnkey and 4-1, we're trying to turn that upside down to give advisors everything they need. So they go, oh, okay, this is, TVL is kind of like this. Whatever, realized cap is a better metric than market cap. Yes, right? So once you turn it over, now you're educating them on the right things. You're giving them data and tools inside of their workflows. Now it's easy for them to go, oh, okay, this is incredibly volatile, right? Sharp ratio is X, this is this. No, Mr. Miscon, we're not gonna do it, but I can show you here and say why we hate it here, right? I would love that. That needs to happen. So anyway, I think that's really what it is. And I think, and again, you like I have conversations with REAs every day, all day, right? And I gave that example of a $50 billion REA. Again, if you're in our industry, you know, they come probably (laughs) five times that size. Those folks are not moving until they get everything that I just said. It's not even, it's a pimple on an elephant's butt. They don't care. So once once they actually get those things, then it'll be easier to say. And I've been saying this for years until a firm that size, 200, 250 billion says we're allocating across. We got 300 billion in our, you know, 300 million across our accounts and it's not going to move in our space. So the work continues to make that possible. Well, and let's talk a little bit about the work, right? So, you know, you're up to Turnkey Labs, which I think is trying to do at least a piece of what you just talked about, right? I think by getting people some of the data to make more informed decisions and conversations with clients, right? But sure, a lot of people don't really know what you're up to with Turnkey. So tell us about how that's kind of solving some of the problems you were just talking about. Yeah, shout out to my Turnkey family and our advisors and investors. It's been an incredible group that is that has helped us um, try to move a pebble a day here. Um, so... For those out there, just think of turnkey as like the Quovo or the plaid, if you will, of crypto. So we want to make it very easy for an advisor in that initial meeting when they meet with a client. Oh, you got crypto? Just send them a link. Don't ask anything else. Client just links their Coinbase, links their hardware wallet, links whatever. And then that data comes back into said platform and the advisor just has that data. So we've been working on that for the last year. 
um, have a huge announcement coming here in the next couple of weeks that we're excited about that I know you know. And we're, we're grinding to getting that done. We're lucky to have a very prominent platform that wants to beta test it as well. So very, very fortunate with that. And this this is going to give us eighty access to 80% of the REA market right off the bat. So that was the goal. So again, a couple things there we wanted to do. One, take away advisors helping clients open accounts at Coinbase. I've been saying this for years. Don't do that. Please stop. Right? Please, please stop. That's bad all around. Right? All the compliance officers out there, feel me. That's the first thing. Second thing is the advisor doesn't want to trigger custody or take anything, right? So we take that out. Link it secure, right? Just like you're having them link a 401k or anything else. The last piece of that is giving them all the data that they need. So we have a suite of APIs where we can provide portfolio analysis. We can do realized, unrealized cost basis, market data, whatever the case may be. But for right now, we're going to keep it simple. Like I said, right? You'll get position. You'll get gain and loss. You'll get a little ticker symbol. You figure that out. And then we'll start to layer on all of the different data and things that we have there. So that's the goal. There's some bigger ambitions that we have. But again, baby food before the ribeye. So we will make sure that we kind of do it the right way. Very particular way of doing it right this time. And again, I'm, I'm sure folks are familiar with what we were trying to do at OnRamp. And I think we were very successful in getting the marketing and feel of your folks of what we were trying to do. But again, as a second time founder, you know to zero in and drill down, right? We just had an Uzi in the forest. It was shooting at everything, which again, not to, not to take away from what we did. And, and again, shout to the to whole on-ramp team being acquired, securitized, just acquired them. So that's awesome. But the goal was to build that presence and in, in trust in the space. But now again, at being able to focus three months after resigning, I was able to go and travel around and go, just what's the issue? And shout to Eric Clark at Orion. And I was I was reading him the idea for turnkey out of my phone. And he goes, go build that. And I'm like, all right, yeah. <laughs> if you say so. Right. And he's he's been such a help helping me get that started. And, and it, it was it was great because, as you know, when you're able to sit with potential customers or folks, you're able to kind of right. Like when you're a first time yeah. founder, it's like, here's the solution. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, no. Oh, okay. Second time, you're like, oh, you got a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Let me go build the solution. So, yeah, that's where we are. Most of the great RIAs out there do want to be fiduciary advisors. And they might say, look, I don't know anything different between, you know, Solana and Bitcoin and all of these different things that you've purchased. But what I do know is I'm supposed to look after your money, right? So, hey, client, you clearly have done enough research to figure out which one of these to buy. I just want to be able to see it in perspective of the rest of your stuff. Because a great fiduciary may go, look, if you're really into this crypto stuff, awesome, let's do that. But I'm going to make some of the rest of this a little bit more conservative just because of the volatility you're going to see over there. But I can't help you with that if I don't know what you got going on, you know, and uh, and, and I'm a holistic financial advisor. If you don't really see everything, you want to be able to give advice on everything that a client holds. So, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to leave this point without saying this extremely grateful to you for sitting with me very early and just trying to figure out the nuance here and being in touch with me and helping me get back on the horse here, which was yeah. a, a credible, difficult time of what I was going to do next and how I was going to do it and do I stay on this path. So I owe you a debt of gratitude, my friend. You know that. Oh. So yeah. Well, I appreciate it. you saying that, man. It's, it's, 
I think it's cool that people are out trying to build and trying to make our space better, right? I mean, and I'm I'm always going to support that, and I love that. I love that you went straight back in, right? A lot of people might have you know might have taken <laughs> taken more time, might have tried to figure it out, and and you went straight back in, which is which is awesome. So for advisors listening to this, for firm owners listening to this, if you're not necessarily trying to find a solution for trading crypto or for any of that, but you just want to be able to have something where your team can see crypto that clients have, that is what Tyrone is building so that you can provide holistic advice and fiduciary advice. And so um, stay tuned for that. I think that's really cool. Tell us a little bit more about 401, right? So if I understand it right, and you can tell me where I'm wrong, you're out building turnkey, you're doing this other stuff and you go, look, the single best way to show people how to do this is I'm going to go build an advisory firm that actually implements all of this stuff I've been telling people to do, right? So so you and a co-founder went out, started, a, I think it's an RIA or a financial planning firm, but mm-hmm. crypto's at the core, a couple of other different things. But tell us a little bit about 401. Yeah. So both the 401 and turnkey family are all former on-ramp folks. So uh, shout to Eric Smith, who actually has been instrumental with helping us on the turnkey side as well. So Eric was part of our customer uh, success team at OnRant, worked with Amber. So the two of them are like the dynamic duo at 401. Um, it's incredible. Poor Amber has to work at turnkey at 401, but if anybody could do it, she can't. So think of, think of turnkey and 401 as different pockets on the same pair of jeans, right? The goal is obviously to provide access 401, the 401 side of that, we are a registered investment advisor here in California. We are non-discretion AUM. Um, so we don't custody or transact on behalf of clients. The main thing with 401 is I wanted to provide financial planning to people that have never had it before. I wanted to provide financial planning services in your pocket to get people who have never used an advisor to get them into it. And we've been incredibly successful at doing that. Um, a large percentage of our clients are working with an advisor for the first time, and we're very proud of that. Yeah, I'm a wirehouse baby, as folks may know, but and I I expressed my disdain with the AUM model only because I didn't think there were other options. Now there are other options, right? And because they're flat fee subscription or whatever, and we're 500 bucks a month, the goal is to reduce our fees, not to increase them. Obviously, we have a very deep expertise in crypto. So there's a crypto portion of what we're doing. Very frustrating. We don't have a crypto offering yet, but go back to the beginning of this podcast and conversations with the SEC. So we're working on that. And one of the things we just built, which we're excited to release, is we created risk scores for the top 300 crypto assets and we built fundamentals. So we're having conversations with some really big firms now about providing this data and resources to them. Um, at some point, that will be made available in Turnkey as well, because to that point, what we want to do is bring in that crypto and score it. This crypto portfolio is X. Bring that next to the traditional assets and say your composite score is this, right? So that's that's the broader aim here. Cool thing that we're excited about now, and I don't know if I told you this, but last time I saw you, it might have been Edge, but it was having some conversations there, but have had conversations with really large RAAs and some hybrids on what I'm calling a reverse referral program, where they have clients that just don't fit. And I think two things happen when folks want to work with a Carson, a Colony Group, a Hightower, a Dynasty, whatever, and can't, and they're turned away for whatever reason, is one, 
They don't get the help that they need. And two, they leave with a bad taste in their mouth about our industry, right? So what if there's this referral program with a business model like ours where we're not fighting you over the assets, but you send us those. We do the planning. We get our fee. We do the deep discovery. Now we send them back to you when they have a liquidity event or they hit that AUM hurdle or whatever, whatever, and you win. Right. So that the big growing AUM firms keep us alive. We're kind of like a satellite power planner. Right. RA power planner for the bigger firms. Right. Because a lot of advisors at those large firms want a client of a certain size or whatever. And then the cool thing is, too, they don't want to deal with crypto. So any client that utters the word crypto, send them to us. We'll we'll babysit them and we'll send them back to you. So that's kind of what we're doing at one. But it's been an incredible experience. We've built our tech stack and our experience from scratch. We're going after that 25 to 45 segment. Those that are looking for a tech driven experience with the advisor kind of behind the scenes, but being readily available. So we're excited. A lot of cool things happening. No, that's awesome. Well, and I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this too. I mean, look at MileMarker, one of the things we try to do is help people take the the tools and technology they already have inside of their firm and and weave them together better because it tends to be a, a faster path than trying to rip everything out and put you know something new in or things along those lines. So how do we create a, a great experience with the tools that you already have, that your staff already knows how to use all of that? But you got to start 401 from, from scratch. And so you've kind of taken a very different tech stack approach to your RIA Wanted to hear you talk a little bit about that, too, because uh, I, I know it can be difficult to try and stitch together the the incumbents in a lot of spaces. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I knew. Right. I kind of knew how the sausage was made. So I, when I started, uh, I had the idea for 401. I knew I didn't want to go that route. So start with the custodian. We took that out. So we're not beholden fidelity, Schwab, Pershing, whatever. We don't need to worry about that. Now we do have access to altruists. And, you know, we don't have any assets on a platform yet, but if there's any custodian that could get close to what we want to do, it's altruist and we'll get there at some point. So that was the first thing. Second is we demoed a lot of different platforms to see if we would be able to make it work and of what we were trying to do. And eventually just was like, all right, we just going to have to piece this together. Essentially, we started with Notion is our hub. Right. Which right around, right off the bat, you don't hear. Right. <laughs> so we, we took Notion and it was like, all right, this is going to be our CRM and it is going to be the home of client plans. So then we started to figure out, OK, well, we need the traditional portfolio management software providers weren't going to work. One, because we were starting from scratch. We were not going to pay them that much. We don't actually trade. Right. We're not doing a bunch of trading and this, that, whatever. We also, when we launched, the premise was we would only take on 25 clients. Right. That has quickly changed. So we're going to grow to take on more. So it was like, we don't need that. So what do we need? We essentially need like a mint or personal capital on steroids. Right. So we found a firm called Kubera. So Kubera is this, against like just, again, a really cool aggregator that allows you to link everything that you have out there. Once we had that, and again, we demoed a ton of things here. So once we had that, we had to find a way now to make it advisor friendly. 
So Amber, Eric, and I had to sit with all of these teams and say, hey, here's specifically what we need as an advisor, right? And work with their dev teams and their product teams to get it figured out. It was a long, long haul. So then we had to get Kubera and Notion to talk, right? Kudos to Amber for using all these no-code tools, Zapier, all these other things behind the scenes to make everything kind of talk. And then once we did that, it was kind of like, all right, we need a real dev, right? So it's like we, you know, we we hired a fractional dev to kind of come in and do some things. So that's essentially what we're doing. So we're going to move to the point where we're going to have our own APIs. Obviously, that's just a natural progression. But that's essentially it. Now we have, again, access to FP Alpha and some other things. But as far as our actual stack, it's Kubera and it's Notion. Like those are the two. And then there's these satellite tools around it that we use based on client needs and things like that. Yeah, I I love that. I think, you know, what's interesting is even with you starting from scratch and and finding these tools that really fit what you needed, you still had to end up stitching it together with the dev in some way, shape or form. Right. And, And I just think that continues on our thesis here at Mile Marker of everybody's firm. It's, you know. If you've met one wealth management firm, you've met one wealth management firm, right? Right. You know, so there's no way to build a scalable piece of technology that just fits everybody. It's like there's jobs to be done. Each of these things do a job to be done. But if you want your firm to be uniquely represented in the digital experience you put forward, you have to figure out a way to own that somehow, right? And, And mile marker, that's like the whole thesis of our company is we'll take all of that data, we'll stitch it together, we'll help you own that. Um, unique experience. And so it almost encourages me to hear you say, hey, we found these really incredible tools. They actually work the way we need them to. We put a ton of work into it, but we still had to go and, and do something to make it unique to 401, which is really interesting. Yeah. And 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 again, kudos to you for doing that, right? Because that's the thing that, and, and to be very clear, like we are like an RAA mullet, right? Like we're oh, RAA yeah. in the front, we're startup in the back, right? So... <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of, yeah, we are an RAA, but we're really a startup, right? Because we wanted yeah. to have the thesis that we wanted to test. And then if you want to test that, you can't test with old tools, right? We needed new yep. tools. And then you get those new tools, right? And you pull all the instructions out of the box and you're like, oh, yeah. We definitely need a professional <laughs> to come and uh, glue this together, right? Everybody said it was so easy. Right, well, it's not right. easy. And, and, but to that point, you realize why RIA in a box exists, right? Great name, right? Yeah. Like all these, because it's just like, there's so much you need to do, right? I'm an advisor. I just want to work with clients. I don't want to do all this other stuff, but I had an army of builders, right? I had startup experience and all that other stuff. So it was easy to say, all right, let's just kind of rub these sticks together, see if we can make fire here. So that's essentially what, what we did. So again, to be fair, we had some experience with that. So it was, it was easy to go 100%. down that path. So um, definitely a model that I think we'll be able to help folks recreate in the future. We're excited for that. That's super cool. So one thing that strikes me, I want to move a little bit out of the industry stuff, but, you know, we start this conversation talking about how, I mean, you have an audience with people at the SEC, right? This is, you know, uh, love them or hate them in in an elite organization or institution in in our country. You know, you've been in, in rooms with incredibly powerful people. You've been, you know, you've had the privilege of being able to have those experiences. Yet one of the things you're really passionate and anybody who knows you has heard you say the phrase, 
get proximate many times. So I'd love to hear you kind of unpack what the term get proximate means, because I think you have a passion for continuing to go back to the communities you care about. And I think there's something really admirable about that because a lot of people, when they get out and they get into those big, powerful rooms, you know, it's like they don't ever want to go back. Right. And, and you are a massive advocate for, Hey, I've been very blessed and fortunate to get here, but you know, everybody still needs to, to understand what's going on out there and to, and to do that. So anyway, the phrase get proximate, where does that come from? Where did that start? And what does it mean? I'll answer that with two things, a vision and a story. And as the saying goes, right, without a vision, the people shall perish. I think what we've done is minimize the power of sight and what it means to see things that are out of our norm, not on social media, not driving on a highway, not store, but seeing it, physically seeing Another human being in distress, dilapidated buildings, whatever the case may be, gangs, whatever. When you have a vision, right, which is to me, I think the most powerful thing that you have, right, as far as a sense to see, it evokes all of these things inside of you. So getting proximate is getting closer to things that I do not understand things that I fear, things that are, to me, distant, right? Hence, proximate, in order to gain an understanding and ability to help. It is hard to affect change by giving to, I just, I give to this org, I give to this org, but have you actually gone and sat with the children that have been abused? It'll change how you give because you go, oh, the more money I give, the more I rob them. They need my time. They need my conversation. They need my healing. They need my perspective. They need my love. They need my prayer. Which is why I've stopped getting perturbed where people say, oh, I got to get rich and then I'm going to give. Well, money is the least effective thing that you give. Like go down there and have a conversation with the kids, right? Or go have a conversation with people. The second is a story. So... As we sit here now, we're whatever, a couple hours removed from a hurricane, right? Southern California hurricane. It kind of came through and brought rain and wind and everything else. And as I'm walking to the store this morning, you see a bunch of folks that are homeless, wet. And another I saw with a, with a blanket walking across the street. These people are soaked. That vision and that Sight of seeing that leads me to this story. So two days ago, I was walking to the store and for whatever reason, right? For those that don't, I don't need to say anything, right? My 92122, I'm in La Jolla. I'll leave it there. I see more homelessness and scores here than I did when I lived in New Jersey. And me living where I live here is the equ equivalent of in New Jersey, again, for those from New Jersey being in Princeton or Alpine or somewhere like that. I would have to go out of my way to see homeless people in New Jersey. I walk to the store here. I see them every day. And again, California has a third of all homelessness in the country. It's horrible here. So I'm going to the store probably for the second or third time. I got groceries coming, all these other things. Ridiculous, gross, disgusting privilege. 
But in my heart, my heart is heavy because I realize that these people don't even know the storm is coming because how would they know? Meanwhile, those of us with the privilege of communication and legs that work in multiple bank accounts and multiple cabinets and bathrooms and everything, stocking up for a gust of wind and a little rain. And I walked over to this gentleman who was holding a sign. And I said, are you aware what's coming? He goes, no. I, I was like, there's a really bad storm coming. I suggest get some shelter, find somewhere to go. He's like, yeah, I know, but I'm hungry. I said, all right, well, let's go into Whole Foods. We're going to get you fat and full, right? And went in there. And, I, and, and again, you know me. I do this often. And I don't have any problem talking about it. Um, if people call that virtual signaling, there's worse things to signal than virtue in the world. But I digress. But I do it often because, again, my heart breaks for those folks. So it fed them. And I said, look, sit here, get full, have some energy, and then figure out somewhere you can go that's safe. And this is before we knew, right? Because they were talking like, you know, it was this biblical amount of rain or whatever coming. But um, trying to trying to make sure folks are safe. So I say all that to say, I think putting yourself in the presence of people who lack what you lack. It doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be home, whatever it is. And giving them hand-to-hand help is important. I think that's something we need to do more as humanity. And you can only do that if you get proximate. I got to get close to you to understand what your real afflictions are, right? I can't walk into a low-income community and say, Mr. and Mrs. Gentlemen's, ma'ams, faculty, my name is Tyrone Roths. I'm a financial advisor, and today I'm going to talk to you about backdoor Roth conversions. Who's this clown? <laughs> All right. And holding ETFs and mutual funds, right? Like you got to, oh, social service programs and WIC and TANF, right? And all these other things. That's what they were concerned about. They don't really care about your investments. So proximity allows you to understand that. And I try to encourage that everywhere I go and encourage that to people that I talk to. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's awesome, man. And and again, I think one thing I've always been struck by you is that that you you walk the walk. You know, I, I still remember one time we were hanging out and you were walking down the street and you just you took your you literally took your shoes off and you took your sweatshirt off and gave it to somebody and just kept on going like it was a normal. You weren't making a show of it or anything. I don't even know if anybody saw you do it. And I was like, wow, this guy doesn't just talk about doing this. Like you walked barefoot all the way back to the hotel because you were like, this person needs shoes. Like mm-hmm. and. It's it's encouraging and it's inspiring. I appreciate that, man. And, and again, I appreciate you being an, an advocate for the message and, and even, you know, bringing that up here. I think what I just hope people understand is for whatever reason, we've lost love of humanity and to be able to just smile at people walking by. Right. And you don't know what that does for somebody and or, or just to, hey, you need anything or something like that. And I think if we could bring that back which we need because our country is so divided right now. So I think yeah. if, if we get back to that, we have a better place for your children and my nephews to grow up in. And if we do that, we did okay. Let's leave it better for them. Then, you know, we we had it. And if we do that, I think we could all go to bed at night happy about the way we're, we're trying to change the world. Yeah, I love that. I love that. All right. But also talking about, you know, humanity being happy. That's not the best segue, but I was thinking about this and I wanted to ask you about it. So so you are notorious for your Friday afternoon pictures of cupcakes. 
it, it is like your end of the week ritual. And I just wanted to know, where does that come from? Right. Because I remember you starting that, you know, a couple of years ago or something. And it's like, man, almost every Friday, Tyrone's got cupcakes or he's got something. And he's telling everybody, great week, team. Let's celebrate or something. So I'm just curious, like, where did that come from? I don't. It was one of those things that actually I just started because startups are hard um, and I love sweets. But I'm like, I love cupcakes for whatever reason. I love actual cake, too. But I just love cupcakes. I've always since a kid. So I was like, it's a really cool way, right, to just kind of get everybody rallied. Like We got we can look forward to cupcakes on Friday. And I would like I start because there's a sprinkles close to me, too close which is why they're easy to get every Friday. So I do walk and walk back though. So I earned them. But I, I just started to, I started to post it internally for the team. And then I was like, I started putting it on Twitter and I realized how it just became a thing. So um, my love of confection and then also startups are hard. So anything that makes it easier, right? Especially when you got steamrolled all week, at least I got, I can look forward to some cupcakes on a Friday. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, I love it. And then I, I, uh, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you right now, what is your 400 time? If you went out and, and, and warmed up, what are you putting out if you run around the track? Right now, I always pride myself on being sub 50 shape. But right now, if I had to just go to the track and sprint one, I could probably give you 51, 52. That's still pretty darn impressive, man. That's awesome. Not bad. Yeah, yeah that's not bad. Still still could beat anybody listening to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, Tyrone, yeah. I, I I really appreciate you coming on, man. And it's always fun talking to you. I think one of the you were a man of contrast that I love because you have so much depth of knowledge and expertise on on crypto, on how people should be thinking about crypto, what that is 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 looking like and how it's not going away. And so since it's not going away, here's what you should know. You have incredible depth of knowledge there, but then extreme compassion and empathy outside of all of that. And I've always found that to be a fascinating conversation. So thanks for coming on today and having a conversation like that. Last thing I'll say is this, my man, your life, my life is better because you're in it. So I appreciate you and appreciate you having me. So thank you, everybody, for listening. See you on the next one. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody. That's another episode of Connected. Come back and listen for the next one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Connected. This podcast is brought to you by MileMarker and it is produced by Turncast. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps us and our show. And for more information about MileMarker and Connected, visit us at milemarker.co.